if you've got 70% of the world's generators, most of them, if not all, are out of alignment because they've been pushed into what they should do instead of what's correct for them, how's that energy showing up in the world? Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Aaron Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. All right. Hello, revolutionaries. Welcome or welcome back. Today, I am interviewing Mickey Gaffin-Stone. And what a fascinating interview. I never go into this with much preparation. And I do that consciously because I want things to unfold as they're meant to. And that's something that Mickey and I actually spent some time talking about after this interview and discovered we have more in common than I had expected we kind of came together with someone else's recommendation. And I love just trusting that trusting. I put the intention out and it comes to me. And this podcast is an exercise in faith and in seeing how this happens. So in the show notes, you're going to find all the links to learn about Mickey and the work she's doing and the offer that she's given. You'll hear it here. Also, just as a heads up, there is a reference to self-injury in here. So, you know, that is in here briefly. So without further ado, I'm excited for you to hear my interview with Mickey Gaffinstone. Okay, so we're back. And thank you so very much, Mickey, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, ditto. Okay, so we're going to start where we always do, which is tell the audience and myself about you, your work, and your passions. So I am a global citizen. I currently live in Southern Colorado, and you can tell I'm not from here. Uh, So my work has developed as I've changed countries. This is the eighth country I've lived in, so it's undergone a lot of iterations. My work is always with people, though, and with an aim to making things better. So the most recent and the things that I work with currently all sort of blend together as I'm a board certified behavior analyst, which means I use behavior change science to help people get from what they're doing to what they'd like to be doing to get what they're looking for. It's a process. And and the science does work, but I find that it's not helpful to use it indiscriminately Some things don't actually need to be changed. People don't need to be fixed. I feel very strongly about that. And that's where the other piece comes in that I use all the time at the moment, and that is human design. And human design, I use that as a foundation for coaching, where behavior change science can come in if it's required. But it's it's also what I love about human design is it shows you what is right about you, And it shows you where the conditioning, the things, the stories that other people have told you that don't help, where those are and how to offload them. Mm. So basically, I do a bunch of things, but it's it literally is holistic because I address all aspects of the person I'm working with. Beautiful. So much I could say there. 
Uh, absolutely. And what you said there is the the offloading of conditioning. For me, this audience is, is somewhat broad, but definitely made up of mostly therapists. And to me, my mission is about helping people understand that offloading that conditioning really frees us up to live our gifts. So thinking about human design, I can see my own chart and how there's you know, there's the shadow aspect of certain things. And that's where my conditioning is coming in. When you look at your chart, wherever you've got white centers, they're undefined. That is an avenue for a whole lot of conditioning because you don't have anything fixed and constant in those areas. But the more I work with human design, the more I find that it really does work. Like people will have a story, you know, for example, if you have gate 53 activated, so don't your chart for that one. If that's activated, that's the gate of new beginnings. And what that looks like, and many people will recognize this for other parts of their chart too, but you have half read books, food that started and not finished, projects that you've started and not finished. You know, maybe there's a wall half painted. There's things that have begun, but not completed. And we make stories about that. Oh, you shouldn't buy more books. You can't read them all. Like you never finish anything. And there's a whole lot of should, never, always, you know, the language of blame and contain, right? Whereas if you have that gate of new beginnings, it's a fabulous gift. Yes, you have half read books. Who cares? You can actually help other people to start a new path in life, to take on a new venture. You can start your own new things and you know that because your power lies in the beginning, you'll bring other people in to help you keep going. So where's the problem, right? We focus on this stupid little thing of half-read books. And the reality is that really is negligible. It's a minutiae. It's nothing to focus on. You know, look at the gift you have. That's what I like to focus on. Absolutely. The energy that's there, the energy I hear in this, I haven't seen that one, but I wouldn't be surprised if I have that gate as well. To me, what I was seeing as you were talking was this idea of this cardboard cutout that is the conditioned who we should be. I'm sure every culture is going to have its own cutout. But here in Western culture, it's like this cardboard cutout. We should be very productive, not fluctuating in our energy. We got to get stuff done, get shit done. That's the continual measurement, I find, this meter stick. Human design is all about who we can thrive to be. We're not going to measure up to that. And I would say there isn't a human that's going to measure up to that compilation of shoulds and musts, that measuring stick that we've internalized, but isn't really anyone. Yeah, well, the problem with conditioning is it's not necessarily ill-intended, but it happens all the time. And particularly the first seven years of life when your brain is operating in theta brainwave level where it just accepts everything and then deposits it somewhere in the body for retrieval later, right? Whenever that thing's triggered, boom, everything comes up. And, you know, the, the hot mess is like, wow, that's, that's kind of big. It was a small thing, but it wasn't. It was everything you've ever had that fits that category. People tell you things that actually you think it's about you because they're saying it is, but it's nothing about you. It, it's nothing zero about you. It is their lens. It is their perspective and it is their story, but they put it onto you. And of course it doesn't fit. It's not, it's not yours. And mm -hmm. we all do this and we all believe it. And we'll take something from a place and run with it. You know, an example would be my eldest son 
when he was at school in Canada, funnily enough, his teacher came to me and said, you know, he's really not very good at languages. His French is not very good. And I was like, oh, dear, that's okay." And I didn't say anything to him, though, because we were in the process of moving to Singapore. So we moved to Singapore. He went to school there and they said, "Okay, now you have to learn Mandarin. And I thought, oh, crap. (laughs) I don't know how this is going to go. Thinking of her words, Mm -hmm. he went to school. His Mandarin was brilliant. Like he ran with it. The kid is now a linguist. He's doing his postdoctoral fellowship in linguistics and language mapping. I mean, he's incredible. The deal was she couldn't teach French. It wasn't his ability to learn. But the story, if I had taken that and put it on him, would have told him, you are no good at languages, don't try. And that's the kind of rubbish that we grow up with. That's what we hear. And we believe it because, well, they said it. It must be true. Yeah, we, we have to look to these powerful others when we're dependent on them. I got full body goosebumps because when I think about my own life, it's like I can see the trajectory could have gone so differently. I wasn't a great learner in the system as a child, but I seemed so intelligent. And they thought I was going to be essentially put in a class where I would never thrive. And luckily I had advocates. But yeah, at the time I internalized that I definitely had all these problems. I remember learning the trumpet, which I wasn't very good at. And they said, you don't know how to do music. Luckily, I have a personality that goes after things. The next instrument I mastered and was teaching other kids. So I keep thinking about that for me being sort of a different learner, maybe more of a global learner. When I got something, I would go further and hear that in your son. She maybe wasn't a great teacher, but also he probably was advanced. Thought about if he's going to go in that direction as his career, he perhaps understood things in a different way. Definitely. They did not understand how he operated at all. And I'll just put this out there too. The day we were leaving Singapore some years later, I received a letter from the school saying basically he was expelled. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I did (laughs) I missed a whole lot of things here that he was kind of signing the notes home and stuff. So I I missed a bunch of stuff. But that sort of letter of booting him out is on his wall right next to his PhD. So, you know, now he's a published author, he's taught, you know, like he's done all the things. So we put kids in boxes. And in fact, his school actually told him that they did one of those tests, you know, what's your career going to be? They told him he would be a janitor. And if I had known that they had said that to him, they they would have had a, a hurricane come through their school in my form. But I didn't know that. He didn't tell me until... We were on the way home back to Canada. But yeah, I mean, we do these things to kids. And it's like, how dare you? Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's brutal. To try to limit potential through another person's eyes at such a young age. So to have the personality that your son does is amazing. I, I would say I share that too. I gamed every system until I got older just to, I needed to do it my own way. But it makes me think about human design and how what I've learned about it is fascinating. I can only go my piece about it, which was I truly looked at my chart and thought, wow, there was this moment of thinking I have no free will because it's so incredibly accurate. And then I thought, okay, that might be an extreme response, but we'll see. And I've played with it now. But I I imagine your son's chart would predict that he would put in some way, put his letter of expulsion beside his PhD, like kind of screw this, I'm supposed to be a cardboard cutout. 
Oh, right. He is forging his own path. I mean, literally in his PhD, he had to cite some of his own work because nobody else had done it. Mm -hmm. and, and there was no other sources to cite, which we all thought was, you know, highly amusing, but it's very him. Just think how differently that could have gone. But yeah. with, your, with your human design, another thing I love about it, and it fits with my psychology background, is it's an experiment. So I can tell you, you have these things in your chart and this is what it looks like and this is how it works. But that's just me telling you what I see there. You go play with it and see how it works for you and how do you want to tweak that? You know, like I said, with the, the gate 53, do you want to help other people start new things in life? Do you want to work on it for yourself? If you want to start something new for somebody else, is that experimental or is it tried and true? You know, th there's a number of things. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. But the point is you can. It's there for you to play with if you choose. So there's nothing sort of preordained and you will do it this way. No, but, you know, your basic, I'm going to go out there and get it and I'm going to do it my way. Yes, that will be there. That's just how you show up. Yeah, the part of me that said I have no free will, I think is actually the me that wants to fit into the cardboard cutout. Because when I stood back and looked at it, I actually saw in my human design chart, the places where things have been tough in my life was where I wasn't really listening to who I really am. It's classic as a human. And I was trying to be and this conflict would come up when some of my chart is very countercultural. I even think of gate 10. So that one comes up for me in multiple places, right? And so for anyone who's listening, the way I understand it is, is the gate of divine laziness. Well, that's not congruent necessarily with the narrative that I grew up in. You could also call it divine timing, right? I have a few sort of concepts that are a little bit different to how they're usually presented. One of them is laziness. I don't think it is exists. Mm. Behavior happens for a reason. And not taking action, not moving, not getting off the sofa, all of those things happen for a reason. Yeah. So what is that behavior telling you? Because all behavior is communication. And sometimes it's just you don't have the energy, the timing isn't right, the thing isn't right. You're having a tough time. Like there could be a million reasons why that thing is not happening. I would argue that laziness is never one of them. No. I just don't believe laziness exists. I think it's totally. blame. It is something that people use to hold other people down, to make you feel shame. And when you're in a place of shame, what action can you take from there? Nothing. Oh, yeah, it's a shutdown. I actually like redefining that word personally. I like it, but I like it possibly maybe similar to how your son likes to put his two things to side by side. I like the word laziness and to sort of be like, yeah, I would love to live that out loud because it's a redefinition, but I hear what you're saying. The original meaning of it is nonsense because I love how you put it with timing because that's what I've learned. It's actually about for me when I'm not taking action and listening to myself, that's the right thing to do because what will happen time and time again is something will align and then I'll go, Oh, now I understand why inside I kept getting the message of don't do that. Now I'm in a launch currently or, you know, things that I'm doing in business. And it's all about take a million things as early as you can. And some of that works for me, but other places I feel this, no, I need to wait and I can't explain why. And I certainly can't explain it to 
people who are, you know, launch managing, they don't get me, but it keeps working out and they don't understand why. And I'm like, I don't either, but I just listen to that. It's not the time. I don't need to know why. Do you have a two in your profile? Oh yeah. I am a two, four. Of course you are. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the two is exactly what you've just described. You, you described it beautifully. You know things and you can't explain things. And when you're working with stuff that you know, but you can't put into words, you're on target. That's it. That's exactly right for you. So yeah, you described it too beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, you're demonstrating right here for anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with human design, just how incredible it actually is. That's all I can really say about that. Yeah. No, I, I was very skeptical when I first came across human design. I have to fess up right away. You know, my background is is psychology, sociology, all the ologies, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And someone had said to me, oh, what do you think of human design? And I was like, eh, I've kind of seen it, but it's, it's hokey, isn't it? Like, you know, I hadn't even looked at it properly. And she said, no, could you go do your chart? Because I need to see it so that we can work together on something. So, you know, I trusted her judgment and I said, all right, let's see what this looks like. And I got my chart and gave it to her. And her response was such a strong response when she looked at it and said, oh, now I understand. Right. Okay, let's slow down the decision making. And, you know, and she started changing things. And I thought, wait a minute, what? Okay, let me go back and have a look. And as is my habit, when something grabs me, I dive in deep. And so... I went all in and down all the rabbit holes. And I have an, a mentor who works with asteroids, which is a whole other layer of human design and pops it up into like 5D. And that's incredible stuff. And so I'm diving into that as well. I'm always studying that is in my design. And it's true. And I used to feel badly about that. You know, like I used to think there must be something wrong with me because I'm always doing this. And, and people use that word overachiever. Mm. What the hell does that mean? How can you overachieve? If I was a guy, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be an overachiever, right? I'd just be smart. Yeah, that cardboard cutout right. is a man in my mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. That overachiever thing, it bothers me when people use that word. I'm like, I have four degrees. I have a whole lot of certificates. You know, I've done a whole lot of things. Why is that overachieving? That's just what I do. And if somebody else doesn't, cool. Mm -hmm. Like, why does anybody have to label that, you mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. Why do we have to be anything other than who we are? It's just puzzling, but it's rampant. In human design, again, you know, that, that is my thing. Yeah. An explanation for why the world is in such a hot mess right now mm -hmm. is because 70% of the world's population are generators, either manifesting or pure generators. But the key is the generator part because the sacral center produces a whole lot of energy. And if you're in alignment, your energy lights up everybody else around you. And, and that is correct. It doesn't drain you, doesn't do anything. Test it out with your friends and, you, and you'll see how it works. You know a generator if you're not one, because it's 70%, right? So if you're doing things that are out of alignment though, then that energy gets very sluggish and it's kind of like an engine that needed an oil change a year ago. How well is that going to work? Not very. And the energy that you produce is, eh, 
you know, it's just, it's sludgy. It's, it's not on point. If you've got 70% of the world's generators, most of them, if not all, are out of alignment because they've been pushed into what they should do instead of what's correct for them. How's that energy showing up in the world? It's horrible. It's destructive. Yeah. It's nobody's happy if a generator is unhappy. So it's just that that's how it works. And it makes sense to me that we have such a hot mess. Generations and generations have been getting it sort of worse and worse and worse. And it's just, come to a head now. And the the positive piece here is that people are becoming individually more conscious and more aware. So the way I like to view it for sort of sanity's sake, my sanity's sake, is, you know, the way market trends are sort of, they're either going up or they're going down. Well, an upward trend still has a downward tick now and then. Mm -hmm. We are currently in a downward tick on an upward trend. Mm. So it's tough but we're on the right direction. That's, it works for me. So that's what I use. (laughs) I get that. And I'm thinking of the work of David Hawkins and his power versus force. Are you familiar with that book? No, but the concept I like. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I love to sort things like that. Is this power? Is this force? Absolutely different. His is all about the, he uses kinesiology and the science of kinesiology to talk about the vibrational calibration of things, words, people, and about how it can be measured through kinesiology, muscle testing, different things. And they've done a lot of research and they've done it in groups, individually. What happens with these frequencies, which we know that's what the universe is. I mean, physics will show us that. You don't have to be into spirituality, which I deeply am. If we could see my altar, I'm admiring all the beautiful things I see in your room. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, my (laughs) camera. Totally. So for me, I don't need a scientific explanation of it anymore, but there is one. And he talks about what's happened for humanity was we've calibrated now recently since about the late 80s, over 200, which is a massive jump. Under 200, it didn't spell good things for humanity. If we had continued on that way, we'd probably be in a downturn with some good upticks, but down. And he right. said being over 200 means we, we're over the, we're sort of in this courage neutrality access point, but 200 isn't great. The average about 200 isn't great. If you look at someone like Buddha, Jesus, you know, spiritual leaders we follow, they're at about a thousand. And they carry the vibration of hundreds of thousands of people who are low vibrational, the the balancing point. So when we have, I can't remember what he, he gathered, but basically the point of this is, is that, yeah, we are on an upswing. Absolutely. You can see it vibrationally for humans, but we know we're doing this. You know, it's, it's not a linear, smooth, easy, clean. We're all 5D now kind of a process. Human beings. Yeah. Human beings don't do anything linear. No. They try to sometimes, and that's where the problems come in. I can't help but keep seeing this cardboard cutout. It's all about the shoulds and the musts and the aspiration to something that isn't real. It makes me think about graduate statistics. And I remember thinking over and over, but we're really not talking about anyone, are we? And they'd be like, well, no. It is the compilation of people, which equals no real person. And I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. There's something strange about that for me. Yeah, it's it's theoretical, but it, it's not. You, you can make it mean anything. You just Statistics are amazing. You can play with them 
any way you like and make them say anything you want them to say. I've seen people do it. And it's, you know, it's fascinating to watch. It's just the question is, why are you putting your energy there, really? It speaks to the worship at the feet of research that is so prevalent in our world, Western world, and in our field, like in in terms of psychology and psychotherapy. And I actually went to a conference once and there was Ad de Jong was there. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'd love to have him on. I'm going to reach out. And he is big in the um, European therapy world. And he said most of the research that is informing psychotherapy around the world doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And he's taken it upon himself to reach out to these big names and no one will get back to him because he's looked at the data and he said, this isn't right. He's also looked at the data on CBT. I don't know where you are currently if CBT is touted as this, you know. Okay, so the thing is, I do ABA right? CBT, I can do ACT. Some people call it ACT, but actually it's ACT, except the therapy. There's, there's all sorts of therapies. There is value in all of them to a degree and in a certain place. The problem comes in that every discipline of psychology says, this is it, don't do the others. This is it, don't do the others. I've studied polyvagal theory. I've done, you know, as I said, ABA, ACT, and a whole bunch of things, internal family systems. Like I'm really interested in all the things because little bits come in for people that I work with, but one size does not fit all. And in fact, ABA gets a pretty lousy reputation in certain places. I'm keenly aware of it. And, you know, and I hear it from time to time. And when I go into psychology groups, boy, do they love BCBA bashing. You know, you guys are terrible, so on and so forth. It's the indiscriminate use that's the problem. So if you try and fix something, and that is in heavy quotes, about a person, you better be really sure that they want to change that thing. And if they don't, why are you messing with it? And sometimes the person that you're working with is not able to stand up and say, I I don't want to have to make eye contact. Thank you. It hurts me to make eye contact. Could you leave me alone? You know, they they can't articulate that. So somebody else has to advocate and say, well, let's not use ABA in this case. Let's use a different approach. Can we get to a place where everybody's happy with this person not making eye contact? How cool would that be? You know, can we get on with our lives now? But here's an interesting thing about the research, seeing as that piece gets you interested. When I was doing my internship to become a BCBA, I had a mentor who had worked with one of the guys who did the original, they call it the White Bible. It's the big book for ABA. He sat down with me one day and he said, let me show you a a research tree. And we went through all these research articles that were cited and are cited now as being evidence-based for this particular treatment, right? This one wrote this article to annoy that person who wrote this to annoy that person who, you know, and, and some of it is just, I don't know if I say this on a podcast, but it's a bitch fight. It was just slugging it out. And they used their sort of articles to do that, which are now used as backing for what we do. Now, I'm in a world of hurt. If, if somebody's listening to that and they're a BCBA, I'm going to get into trouble. But truth is what it is. That's, you know, go follow the tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's there. So the, the research, why was it written? 
in the first place. And ABA relies on single case studies, which means you could have a couple of people that this was tested on, and now we call it good. Well, I can see some elements wrong with that. And the other thing is with psychology, a lot of it stems from the 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. We are not the same animal now that people were then. We are very different people. We operate differently. Our expectations are different. How we think is different. So necessarily, some of the science must be different. And a lot of the science oh, was done on that kind of cardboard cutout white guy because that's who was believed to be the most stable, right? Thinking about this cardboard cutout, what you were saying was absolutely, I am so in alignment. What Ad Young was saying was that absolutely CBT is amazing for 30% of people. It is incredible. What happens in the research, the 70% who drop out, the research doesn't cite that, but they don't have to. They're not part of the final group, but they don't mention it, which when you compare to other modalities that they're always trying to compare to, the dropout rates are not even close to that. But yeah, to have a mixed bag. And what I hear in your work is you're looking at the whole person. And when I think about ABA, I don't have too much bias because I don't know too many people. But one thing we do in our clinic, because I I also have a a group practice that I co-own, we use the SSP. So safe and sound protocol, which is based on polyvagal theory and is so incredibly effective for people. I like Krem. Oh, because then eye contact is self-generated from the individual. If it's going to happen, it's not staring right here. It's the person starts to go into ventral vagal and they seek out what felt so dangerous when they were stuck in fight, flight and dorsal vagal. They just seek it out. This natural self-generating healing is the to me, the only way, it's the only way I can think is that is the bottom up. So it isn't that I don't also do cognitive stuff, but it will only work usually with about 30% of people. The rest need a bottom up. It's also a question of timing and, you know, word again, and whether you even need to do it. Like the first question is, do you have a problem with this? Really? Do you want to change it? And I try not to use the word fixed because that implies broken. And again, People are not broken. They are put upon. They are shaped and and they are taken away from their true self in a way that can only hurt. It can't do anything good. If you're not showing up as you, how miserable are you? You know, it's horrible. We've all done it. And it's just like when you shake those shackles off, it's amazing. So, you know, mental health right now is a big issue for an awful lot of people. And in fact, all of us, I would say, to some degree or another, one day to the next. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we're so far out of alignment, it's messing with your head, you know? And we are also taught from kids, use your head, think about it. Is it logical? You know, all these brain terms. Your head, according to how human design is laid out, is an observatory for life. Everything you experience and see in the world, store that in the crown. And your ajna, your mind, is interpreting it. So you have an observatory and a library. These are not places to make decisions. These are places to store information and to learn things. But you don't make your decision there. Your body is where you make your decision. But we're taught from young not to listen. You know, one of the first things I work on with most people, very few exceptions, is what does your intuition sound like? Let's start there. And expand from there, because if you can't trust 
that one voice that will never lie to you and never gets it wrong. If you can't trust that, we have work to do before we can do anything else. Yeah, discernment. What yeah. I would call discernment. It, it, when I think about this course that I'm building, and it, it is just that for therapists, how to find the path of discernment for yourself because the conditioning says you must do and there's lots of fear and stress. And, and so this discernment, absolutely. And there are brains throughout our body. I mean, there is a heart brain, there's a gut brain. Yeah, your whole body is talking to you all the time. I also do trance work. So that's from Milton Erickson. And he had some students that took the language patterning and made NLP. Mm -hmm. I gather he wasn't thrilled about that. And I'll leave that one where it went. But (laughs) trance is sort of the deeper stuff that's underneath the language patterning. And you go within and you figure out what's going on with you and witness it, be with it, but not get in it. And, you know, I got myself out of a panic that was building Uh, a short while ago. I I had a thing. I had to go to the local courthouse to be in a jury and they called me late. Right. It it was a late call. They they agreed with that. And I had appointments and things. And I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not going to work. No, can't do it. So I, I requested a postponement and they didn't answer. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go in. And so I woke up early and that panic started to build. And I thought, mm. no, this is, let's not. So I, I did some inner work. You know, I did the trance work and I found the center where the problem was. I thought it would be my head, but it was my heart. And then I followed it to the sacral. And then we went to the head, witnessed the whole thing. And it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get in it. Mm-hmm. And by the time I'd sort of done this journey, I was totally calm and and able to get up. I went to the courthouse, requested my postponement very calmly. Yes, I got it. But there was a woman next to me who was losing it. She was just wide-eyed, petrified, never been in a courthouse before and hyperventilating. So I thought, I I didn't really think, actually. I just went over to her and, and started talking about, you know, inane things like the weather. And I matched my breathing to hers briefly because I didn't want to get lightheaded. And then I started to bring my breathing down as I talked to her and hers came down with me. And I just, I didn't tell her what I was doing. I just did it. And after a couple of minutes, I said, okay, you know, I have to head off, but good luck today. And she kind of gave me this really puzzled look and she's just kind of looking at me and she said, well, thank you. And I was like, okay. You know, and I I toddled off. I was so happy. It was like eight, 10 past eight in the morning. And I'm like, yes, this is a good start to a Tuesday. You know, it was just, it was nice doing that inner work and not trying to fix anything. Didn't try and stop it, didn't try and fix it. I was just with it. So that's, you know, that's another piece that's really powerful. Yeah, there's such wisdom in all of what's going on for us. There's wisdom. It, It is all trying to help. It's all trying to guide. Yeah, it's this observer. I can see now why Allison hooked us up because as you were describing your process of going through and witnessing, I was like, yes, I'm so grateful. And I have a question for you. And you may have already alluded to it. I would love to know two things. One would be what mental health revolution means to you. And then a bit more about your work so the audience can understand more about you, how they can find you and answer in whatever order you like, whatever resonates with you. 
Okay, I, mental health revolution is something that I think we're in the very early stages of, mm-hmm. and basically destigmatizing mental health issues. This to me, it, it's as bizarre as viewing women as second class. Like I don't understand it. We all have mental health and we all have issues with it from time to time. And you never know what's going to come up for you. You know, I've had postnatal depression. I can tell you that's one hell of a black hole to go into. And, you know, if people are scared of you because you have this thing or they don't want to talk to you because they might upset you or whatever their weird response is, how is that helping? How does that move things forward? We're at a very early stage. And I think destigmatizing mental health issues is massive. And then adopting a really open approach to how are we going to work with this and and accept that what works for me might not work for you or a bit of it might and a bit of it might not. I don't know. We'd have to try. So, you know, the open approach is massive. And I I think we're starting to get there, but we're a long way. We're a long way still. And that kind of leads into the work that I do because I literally, you know, I like to use human design as a foundation and that can be, I'll do readings for people and and they can go and do their own work if that's enough for them. Or if they want to do coaching with me, then we start with human design so that I know how I'm working with you. If you're a manifester, I'm going to respond very differently to how I give you information and how I receive from you than if you're, you know, because that's going to be for people who don't know that's going to be fast and it's going to be, you know, intense. A a manifester gets the information and runs like, they're gone. They're out the door. And, you know, that was the kid who was uncontrollable. That's probably a manifester. The person who gets angry really easily is a manifester who was over-controlled as a kid. And that's a long story, but, you know, that's Mm -hmm. a quick breakdown. If you're a, a projector, I'm going to take a very different approach because you you see the big picture and work in a very different pattern to somebody else. So I'm I'm going to give that differently. And then the coaching itself depends very much on what you need. I like to morph with the patient, if you will, or the client, not patient. I have a family in the UK that I work with. The I started with the teenager who was cutting himself, mm-hmm. and after three months of doing work with the parents, him through the parents. He's not cutting himself. He's social. He's doing so much better. And, you know, and and the first thing I said was don't stop him from cutting himself because that is a coping mechanism. Don't Mm -hmm. take away the coping mechanism. Let's take away the reason he needs to cope. Mm -hmm. So different approach. Yes, the underlying. The mom realized, realized, oh, you know, I, I have time for me now. I haven't been looking after me because I'm looking after him so now we start working on her and then somebody else has a thing so I'm going through five members of the family and we're into like eight months now of work but for five people that's pretty cool so I literally have this big toolbox and I pick and choose and pull from the toolbox on an as-needed basis so I don't do a a plan you know like uh, we are talking about this today and this is what it looks like because I don't know what you're showing up with today. Mm -hmm. So we can have a plan running in the background, sure. Mm -hmm. But on a a session-by-session basis, who knows how that's going to go? Yeah. 
I could feel the energy of what you're talking about. And the moment you started talking about, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It was like a shift and a uh, action. Yeah, the rigidity, the missing the forest for the trees. So what I hear is you have a tapestry and a landscape that can unfold and guided by what you've been talking about, which is that the person is not broken. And what in my words, and we'll see if this resonates, they heal themselves if they're going to heal at all. We're just helpers, guides along the way, offering our toolbox. 100%. It's, it's basically, look, I have I have a map. And I have some tools, which part would you like to start with? And, you know, but you're going to do the work. I'm not fixing anybody. Mm -hmm. People really, they aren't broken. This is a story that holds you down. So, you know, the big reward for me is when I see that look on somebody's face or the, you know, the, the realization that, oh, so I don't have to do that. Or, oh, so that's. That's not wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I actually had somebody burst into tears on me once because I had shown her that a thing she'd spent her entire life being told was wrong was actually a beautiful part of who she is. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need fixing. It needs embracing. You know, and that's like, yes, let's celebrate who we are, not not like labor under this sack of coal that somebody put on us. Yes. Let's not Ooh. do that. Oh, right. I- I feel like that's being skywritten over the world right now. What you just said, mic drop. And another question crystallized for me, which was, I mean, my mission in life is about what you're talking about to therapists in particular who are living under a sack of coal often, of education, of indoctrination. Yeah. And so I wonder if a therapist is listening to this right now on the fence about going after who they really are, they'll fill in the blanks, whether that's private practice, writing a book, leaving the field, whatever, what would you say to them? Okay. So what came to me as you started to say that was, please come and talk to me. (laughs) Please come and talk to me. I I would, you know, you can, I actually have a place on my website right now where you can have a free one hour session where we just talk about what do you want to do? What are you looking for? And sometimes, you know, the person I'm talking to is not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not. And so I'll have resources for that person and and send you off with things to go check out. The last person I spoke to that fell into that sort of area, I, I gave him like five different things to go look at and the sequence in which to go look at them in for the best sort of overview, right? So that he could figure out then after looking at all five, what do you want to go do? But what I do was not going to work for him because he wanted more of me doing the doing mm. and him being done too, you know, kind of like talk therapy stuff. And and no, that's not my thing. So I'm I'm not going to pretend it is. But for somebody who's laboring under, you know, I keep doing this and I hate Mondays, you know, and, and oh, I, I see stuff for behavior analysts all the time. If you look on Instagram, there's a couple of places there. They come up all the time for me highlighting you know how awful it is to do this job because yes it can be rewarding but it's crazy tough there's a lot of aspects that make it tough I could really bring you know a whole sort of podcast for that Mm -hmm. um unnecessary though the thing is if you find that you keep doing the same thing over and over again and and you're just not feeling like you're getting anywhere you're just treading water 
please come and talk to me. Whether you work with me or not, at least come talk to me because I, I would love to help you get some clarity. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I've appreciated this time so much, Mickey. And is there anything that you would like to say as we close this interview? Yes. If the words should, must, have to, only, just, if these words are in your vocabulary, please find a jar. Every time you say one of them, put a piece of paper in there and notice how often you keep yourself in the wrong place, in a small place. This mm-hmm. is not for you. And now get another jar, put a different color piece of paper in. Every time you say something that empowers you, that is your choice and not a story you've been told that you ought to do. Because you're not here to should on anybody, including yourself. Yeah, what a beautiful, tangible exercise. Yeah, thank you so much again. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And in the show notes, we'll have links to all of the places people can find you. Awesome. And I look forward to talking to anybody who's on the fence or anybody that's just interested in what I do. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution. 